You're listening to the Advocates Podcast with Al Jones. Welcome, everyone, to the first of a two-part special edition of the Advocates Podcast for Financial Literacy Month in financialadviceforall.com. We have an outstanding lineup today for your entertainment and education. I'm going to go around and, and ask the four individuals to introduce themselves. We're going to start with uh, Seema in Mississauga. Seema. Hi, Al. This is Seema Sharma. I represent a company called Wealth and Estate Financial Canada, Inc. I have been in the financial industry since 1993, so a long time. And I basically serve a community of health professionals. So uh, mainly my clients are uh, physicians uh, across Canada. And I also run a small brokerage uh, mentoring young advisors. Excellent. Welcome to the podcast. I look forward to hearing your insights. Let's head out to Nova Scotia and speak with Jennifer. Jennifer. Hi, Al. Thanks for having me. My name is Jennifer Murphy, and I am a financial planning consultant with Sun Life. I've been in the industry for 13 years. I started in 2007, and um, I serve um, the community of Atlantic Canada and a couple of offices in eastern Nova Scotia. Maybe one thing that's a little bit about different uh, as me on the panel is that I'm not necessarily an advisor, so I am not dealing directly with clients. I'm more working behind the scenes with advisors of Sun Life in order to help them on their financial planning journey, um, making financial plans for their clients and answering any questions that they have. Um, And I volunteer on, of course, the Nova Scotia um, Advocates uh, Board here. So, yeah, really happy to be here today. Thanks for having me. Well, welcome, Jennifer. And again, we'd certainly appreciate your insights from your perspective. Now, let's just go out into the water a little bit and head over to Newfoundland and speak with Jackie. Jackie, how's it going? It's going great, Al. Thanks for having me today. Uh, Jackie, your background. I, uh, I am a, I've been in the financial services industry for just a little shy of 20 years. 10 years of those I've spent as an advisor. And I have my own independent planning firm called Invested Mama Incorporated. And as the name suggests, my community is female professionals, business owners, and community leaders. I focus mainly on their planning needs and issues. And um, yeah, I'm quite happy to be part of this podcast today. I'm passionate about financial literacy, and I'm happy to have this conversation with some of my peers. Looking forward to it, Jackie. Jackie, how long have you been involved with Advocus? I have been with Advocus since I joined the industry in 2011, and I am a member of the Newfoundland and Labrador chapter. Excellent. Uh, coming back to Ontario, a good friend of mine, Will. How's it going, Will? It's going pretty well, Al. Thanks, and uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Will Britton. Uh, based here in Kingston, Ontario, where I'm a member of our local chapter. Uh, I am a financial planner and principal of Tidal Financial Management here. Um, I work primarily, I guess, with small business owners, young professionals, and artists of all disciplines um, to help them manage the ebb and flow of their finances in their lives. Uh, I've been in the industry now, uh, this is my 14th year, uh, earned my CFP designation in 2012, and uh, I also have the extreme pleasure of sitting as the Financial Literacy Chair on the Chapter Leadership Council of this, our association, Advocus. You know, as we move into Financial Literacy Month, it's really important to to talk to our clients and address some areas, some basic areas of, of financial literacy. Uh, And the first area I want to get into and and converse with you is about money basics and how that impacts your clients. 
So, you know, I'm thinking, Jennifer, what are your thoughts on, on as an advisor, how important are money basics to your clients? And how do you work with them to promote their understanding of things like budgeting, uh, savings, and taxes? Jennifer. Great question. Thanks, Al. Um, so my opinion is that when it comes to money basics and really understanding a client's cash flow needs, is at the very base of their financial plan. Because if a client is saving or if they are spending, that is therefore going to impact everything else that they do. So it's really important to get a sense um, of what clients are making and what they are spending and if they have a surplus or a deficit at the end of the day um, or the end of the month, really. Um, and what an advi advisor really needs from that, that discussion is if they are making recommendations to a client, whether that be in saving more money or maybe making an insurance recommendation, whatever the case may be, they really have to have a good sense of, of the, the, the cash flow um, of their, their clients. And sometimes clients don't always necessarily, I don't know, sometimes they don't always understand you know, inflows and outflows, because the cash that we make, it's all taxed differently. Um, whether you're receiving a, a RIF payment or a salary, um, all, all of the incomes that we're making, it is, it, they're taxed differently. Some things are eligible for income splitting, some things aren't. So it's really important for the advisors that I work with to get all those details around the cash flow of the clients that, that, that they are working with. Jennifer, you're in a unique position, again, where mm -hmm. you work with multiple advisors uh, to help them uh, see that and, and lend that type of expertise to their clients. Mm -hmm. You know, Jackie, I think you're in a very unique situation as well as you described what your practice is and the individuals that you work with. So the same question to you in terms of money basics and your clients, how does that work with you? Well, I find that the money basics serve the most important function in the whole planning process, and that is giving us a baseline and providing some clarity from the onset. It's always, you know, surprising to me, I guess not so surprising anymore, but when I ask clients to provide me with some basic things like a cash flow plan, uh, a recent pay stub, for example, their latest notice of assessment, um, statements from any savings that they may have or any debts they have. Oftentimes, it's the first time anyone has ever asked them to gather that information together in one place. And, you know, when we have conversations around, you know, things as simple as what their tax bracket is or how much RSP contribution room they have, it's only when you take the time to ask those basic questions and to capture the data. I call it the heavy lifting. We have right. to get the raw data before we can we can move forward in any meaningful fashion. And even just the process of asking those questions and having them, you know, recognize that because these are busy professionals, these are community leaders and business owners, you know, there's an assumption that they know all this stuff. They right. probably know how to run their businesses and their households and their, you know, volunteer organizations like no other, but they probably have neglected their own finances and those money basics because they've been so busy. And when they set that time aside to gather that data and to just see it all in black and white, 
I get such a sense of satisfaction out of just that first meeting where we sit down with those documents and you can start to see the clarity come across the faces of the clients as to, you know, what they're doing well and where they need to focus their energies moving forward. And that's, I think money basics, well, it's the foundation of everything, as Jennifer said. And, uh, and I love that discovery process with clients. Well, your comments on money basics. Yeah, I too really like this idea of awareness. Um, I often say that a lot of the people that I run into that are in a situation of financial difficulty aren't necessarily there because they made a bunch of bad financial decisions. A lot of times it's because they haven't made decisions at all. They've just kind of gone by default in the status quo. And, you know, we're in a system that's kind of there to separate your from your money. Um, so I, I think that's an incredibly important starting point. As Jackie said, too, I think cash flow is critical, not only as a baseline and as a place that any financial plan starts, but I also think it's also the end point and what every financial plan comes back to. I mean, most people I talk to really have one fundamental question, and is that that is, is, is I'm going to be okay? And in the case of their finances, it's, you know, am I going to have the money I need, when I need it, where I need it for the thing I need it for? Um, so that whole idea of cash flow and how the money moves in and out and when it moves um, is really important and I think is really the crux of the work that we're trying to do. You know, well, I want to I want to roll this into the next uh, area of topic, which is uh, you know buying basics. We're, we've covered the the awareness, but I want to I want to get your sense on on the buying basics, the clients understanding the promotes uh, major purchases, credit cards, consumer debt. What are your What are your thoughts along those lines, Will? Yeah, you know, it's it's a spot where I'm really happy with the work that I've done with the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada and the Financial Literacy Office there. As I kind of touched on, I, I do feel like the system is kind of set up to separate people from their money with as little thought as possible, whether it's a click or now a tap or whatever the case may be. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, our clients and, and individuals just aren't thinking about the money they're spending. They're not considering the value of, you know, the, the money they have now now um, versus what they might have later on. I think it was Preet Banerjee said something a number of years ago that has stuck with me that helped me frame it for clients. And it's just that idea that you're not really borrowing money from the bank. You're borrowing money from your future self. Um, and what are the implications of that? And really, again, just awareness and stopping and thinking about that can make a huge difference in someone's spending patterns and, and how they approach their finances overall. Excellent thoughts. You know, Will, thanks for, for that, the, those insights on, on the whole money basics thing. And, and I can't help but thinking about Jackie and some of the client base that Jackie's working with in Newfoundland and how, how this may apply to her. Jackie, what are your thoughts here on the money, buying basics? Well, on the buying basics, um, I'm coming at this, I guess, from two perspectives, Al. One, obviously, as a financial advisor, but also as the parent of a teenage son who just recently <laughs> got a new job and a bank card. And when Will talks about, you know, that we've been set up to part with our money without even giving it any thought, I, you know, I think of a conversation I had the first month after he got his debit card and we had met with the bank to set it up and they had given him a package um, that was a student package that gave him up to 25 debits a month, which he thought was an incredible amount of debits. And after that, it was $1.25 for each additional debit. Well, when we sat down, he had over 20 extra dollars in debit charges at the end of the month after he'd exhausted his 25 free <laughs> charges. And he was shocked. And I said, so, you know, he was debiting things like a, a $2 
coffee. Uh, and I said, that coffee cost you $3.25. And it was just that opportunity to, you know, at a young age, try and instill in him that, you know, these conveniences come at a cost and you're smarter than they are. So let's, you know, let's be aware. And again, just as we said in the beginning, uh, when we were talking money basics, it's all about just stopping for a moment and challenging our assumptions and reviewing the data. Because when you do, you realize that, you know, things are happening that you do have some control over. And uh, so we gave it another month. And the second month, he brought it down to about $15 extra in charges. Still not great. So I said, you have a decision to make, like we all do. We can get a different package with unlimited debits, or you can start taking cash out of the bank machine for these small purchases, or we can, you know, uh, buy a different uh, a different package. And you know, and again, that's what it comes down to. Either you can change your behavior, or you can change the way that behavior is affecting you by, you know, making different choices. So, uh, I, I really, you know, this topic is one that I always say to people: it's, you know, don't don't discredit how much control you have in this decision making around major purchases and don't fall victim to these conveniences if they're not really serving you for the long term. You know, Jackie, that really captures financial literacy and the education, your example of, of how we, we can do a really good job of not only educating our family members and our teenage kids, but also our clients. And I would think, Jennifer, you have, may have a different perspective because you're also having that conversation with the advisors that you're working with. Your comments, Jen. So anytime that I'm talking to um, advisors in um, advising them on their clients, one thing that we have a discussion about in regards to understanding things like making major purchases um, when you're using credit or consumer debt in order to pay for that is the interest rate. That is something that I always take a look at. How high is this interest rate? And what is it actually costing the client in order to make that purchase and pay that back? Um, I can remember when I was talking to one of, my, one of my friends when she graduated from university. And uh, I do consider a university degree a, a major purchase. Um, she thought that when she was paying back her student loan, when she saw that balance, that that was all she had to pay back. Um, she didn't realize that there was necessarily interest attached to that. So every month when you're making that payment, um, you're not just paying back the principal. There is a lot of interest, especially in the early years, um, that is going um, to that student loan payment. So, And, you know, even a difference of a half a percent when you're looking at thousands of dollars on, say, a mortgage, um, that can make a huge difference in what you're, what you're paying back over the long term. So that is one thing that I always have a discussion about is the interest rate that you're paying on your debt. Seema, I'm really curious about your your thoughts and your inputs here on, on buying basics. What's going on? Yes, you know what? These, the, uh, this is, these are big decisions we're talking about, right? And if we don't know the basics of how to buy something right at the right time, uh, it kind of makes your life miserable. And I work with a lot of people that have the money, that have the resources, but putting that into perspective of budgeting and saving and, and buying it right, what I do is I use a formula called 50-30-20. I make sure that whatever income they're earning, 
only 50% goes towards the survivors, surviving a, a lifestyle. So your food, clothing, shelter, no more than 50% of your net income should go towards that. When it comes to purchasing something like a house, I say, you know what, remember, the bigger the house that you want to buy, the bigger the house you're going to donate to the bank. And that kind of opens up their eyes. Like, what do you mean? I say, well, if you're taking a mortgage of $1 million and you're going to pay that off in 25 years, you're basically buying a house for yourself for that $1 million, and you're donating a house for RBC or any bank that you're, you're uh, borrowing from, another house of worth a million to that bank. All right. And that 50, 30, 20 concept has really worked. I want to share that with you just so our audience can benefit. So 50% towards surviving, 30% to keep the king or the queen inside you happy. So the, the, that 30% you can spend on all your desires, your diamond rings, your um, Jimmy Choo shoes, your Mercedes or Ferrari, whatever you want to buy. But the 20% that's left over, that has to go towards either paying down your debt faster or savings. And, and trust me, that formula has worked over 25 years like magic. Thank you for sharing that. That's excellent. 50, 30, 20 rule. And I like the idea about keeping the queen happy, the queen <laughs> and king in terms of lifestyle. That's, Did that's you like exceptional. Jimmy Choo shoes idea better? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm opening up to the rest of you. Is there any other comments you want to add to uh, the buying basics and some of the struggles or tribulations that we've come across for our clients? I'd like to uh, to chime in if I could. Absolutely. Uh, I love the 50, 30, 20, uh, Shima. That's, that's really great. One of the things that um, I try to use, I think the words we use are extremely important and extremely powerful. And when we're looking at cash flow, I like to use the word cash flow plan as opposed to budget. Budget, mm. I find, implies scarcity or, you know, sacrifice. And nobody gets motivated or, you know, on board when you start talking about those concepts. But when you're talking about a cash flow plan, to to Seema's point, it gives you the sense that you do have some choice here and some control over how you spend your cash flow. So those things like keeping the queen or king happy, um, you know, but again, you have to know what you have to work with and the percentages to dedicate to each of those things. So a cash flow plan, I find uh, where we can say, this is your fixed expenses. And I say, these are some of your short-term goals and these are your long-term goals and you're deciding what they are. And they're different for everybody. And, you know, having that engagement in the process and not just feeling like you're a victim of it, um, definitely, I find, keeps people more committed to the plan long term. You know, Jackie, I'm really impressed with your comments with regards to planning and how important it is for clients. And, and, and that leads quite nicely into the next area that I do want to get your inputs on, which is how important is the planning basics for your clients? How do you work with promoting their understanding of financial planning, investments, insurance, and retirement. Jackie. Well, I think it always starts with the same question uh, when we get into the planning basics, and that is, what do you want to accomplish? Uh, because intention is is key to making sure that everybody's on board and that, you know, your plan has a purpose. So I'll often say, you know, if your goal is to, you know, retire 
with a certain lifestyle or if your goal is to make sure that your, you know, your family is looked after in the event of an illness or, you know, a premature death, or if your goal is to, you know, build an investment portfolio that allows you to choose the type of work you're going to do moving forward, or if you're going to work at all, like those types of basic questions about what's important to you and what are you trying to accomplish? Because if we've done some of the money and buying basics and we've laid that groundwork of where am I now? And they've gathered the raw data. They've done that heavy lifting. It starts to become clearer what it is they want to accomplish once we start having the conversation about, so where do we go from here and what types of products and tools can we put together that'll get us there? So, uh, you know, I really find that, um, you know, I love the way that this conversation is going because it does follow, you know, a logical format when you, uh, when you start with the basics and go from there. Excellent. And building on the basics, well, when we talk about financial literacy and the th- work that you're doing out in Kingston, how does that come into the planning part of it? Yeah, I mean, the planning part of it is essential as far as understanding, you know, uh, what what the client's doing. And it really is for two reasons. Almost circles back a little bit to what Jackie was saying about the difference between a budget and a cash flow plan. I think it's really important for clients to really understand the planning basics, um, because what that's going to do, I think, is it's to alleviate some of that fear. I mean, the reason people stay away from the cash flow plan, the financial plan, and all these different things is, is because they're afraid, and they're afraid that it's going to be limiting, and they're afraid that it's going to hold them back um, in some ways. It's They're afraid that the, the queen or the king isn't going to be happy anymore, whereas the reality is, is as they start to understand it and go through it, I think everyone's experience is that the process is actually liberating. Once you know that you have what you need for what you want, um, you can really start to enjoy it about stress instead of stressing about it all the time. So I think it's really important that way. I also think it's really important for me to be able to do my work. I don't think anyone should be putting their money into anything that they don't have a rudimentary understanding of at the very least. They should know where their money's going there. Um, Speaking to Jackie's conversation uh, about objective, they should know why they're putting it there. They should know what the benefits are going to be, and they should know what the risks are. There's no way that I should be implementing any type of plan or solution with a client until they know what it is we're implementing on their behalf. Nothing scares me more than that client sitting across from me that says, whatever you think, well, I don't care. I trust you. Mm. Um, That's just not a good place to be, I don't think. Right. Not being engaged in the planning process. Really important uh, comments there. Uh, Jennifer. One of the uh, things that we use to talk to um, advisors and clients about financial planning um, is a pyramid. So a lot of people are visual. And so we use this planning pyramid a lot. So if you can visualize this with me at the very bottom of the pyramid is your will and power of attorney. Um, So we want to make sure that that is put in place initially. That is the foundation of your pyramid. Then we work upwards and we look at all of the uncontrollable events that could happen in life. So this could be anything from losing a job to having a critical illness, um, passing away early. Um, It's all of those events that you just, uh, unfortunately, you just can't control them. So that's when we look at putting insurances in place in order to make sure that those those events are covered in the unfortunate event that that does happen, whether that's through life insurance, critical illness insurance, uh, an emergency savings account, whatever the case may be, make sure that you're covered in those areas. Then as when we get those in place, then we look and we move up the pyramid a little bit more. 
when we look at those controllable events. So those are things like saving for uh, saving for retirement, um, making sure that you are participating in all of your um, workplace um, savings plans, for example. So making sure that everything that we can, can control, that that is in place as well. And then at the very top of the pyramid is where we look at um, like estate planning and really maximizing your wealth. So this would be at the very top of the pyramid, talking to clients, you know, maybe they have, um, they've got to that point in their lives where they're looking at passing on their wealth to their children, grandchildren, um, charities. Um, and once we've covered all of those other sections off in that pyramid that we then and, and we've made it there, then we have we have that discussion. So we really start at the bottom and then work our ways to the top. You know, the pyramid ideas is, is excellent. It sort of uh, reminds me of kings and queens and pharaohs and things like that. So Asima, your comments with regard to the planning basic. Um, that's right, Al. So I completely agree with Jennifer. I love the pyramid idea. Maybe I'll incorporate it with my planning. But what I currently use is a three-step process. And I ask the client why, so what, and how. So the first thing I ask is, you know, if you get sick or hurt, why do we have to plan? Okay. And I let them come up with, oh, I'm going to have $4 million not earned if I'm not working. And how is that, that going to impact your family's uh, lifestyle? So, so that's the so what, right? And then the third is how. How can we avoid having to face or having your family to face um, all these challenges? And that has really worked well for me because as soon as I say um, purpose, process, payout, or why, so what, how, and I start to ask them these three different situations, what if you're sick or hurt? What if there's a premature death? And what if you live long? Do you have all three situations covered? Do you have your income replacement for family in case you're hurt or sick? And if not, here is, here's a conversation that we got to have when you're healthy and young. Because I find a lot of the young professionals, they th I mean, everyone, including me, when we were young, we thought nothing would ever happen to us, right? But when you have these conversations with professionals that, that have great potential of earning in their lifetime, it kind of opens up a great conversation. You know, a lot of this, the, the last part of these conversations have sort of circled back uh, to uh, Jennifer's comment about the uncontrollable life events and how we prepare our clients for that. So I, I want to get into that area now. I want to talk a little bit about more, hear from you uh, on how important are life event basics to your clients. Yeah, how do you work with them to promote their understanding of how things like marriage, children, losing a job, critical illness, or someone important in their family passing away uh, with regards to financial literacy and the financial impact that they have on them? So Jackie, in terms of life events, life event basics, your thoughts? Well, I agree that um, there are several events and I, I too love that pyramid idea, Jennifer, and we'll certainly incorporate it into conversations because people do tend to grasp concepts that they don't only hear, but they can visualize. And, um, you know, I, I certainly like like that 
that visual that you've created for us. Um, I think at this point, when we start to talk about there are things that can happen to us over our lifetime that we don't control, you have to quickly follow that up with, but there are decisions you can make today that give you back some control over those uncontrollable events. And this is the part of the planning process where I feel our role as educators in the various solutions that are available to people really, you know, um, kicks in because people, a lot of people don't know that there are solutions to some of these problems. And furthermore, if they're even vaguely aware that they do exist, there's often a lot of misconceptions about, you know, affordability and about uh, exclusions and about, you know, uh, whether or not they'll qualify based on their, their health or their family history or their, you know, their financial circumstances. So once you've given them a good base of where they are and started to engage them in the process and you start asking some of those great questions Seema mentioned about, you know, these unexpected or uncontrollable life events, then you can start to educate on the solutions. You know, you're not leading from a place of fear, but you're leading from a place of knowledge and empowerment. And, you know, I think planning for years was very much about, you know, backing the hearse up to the office door. You know, you really wanted to have people act out of fear. And I don't like to do that. And I don't think people respond to that. It's about, you know, these things can happen, but a really good financial plan that you've built, that you've been a part of, will allow you to adapt and and allow the people that you love to, you know, still be able to move forward in a meaningful way. So I uh, I really find this is where, you know, we can really use the knowledge that we have as advisors to educate our clients so that they know that these things may happen, but it can be okay. Excellent. Jennifer, did you want to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're looking at financial planning and how sometimes a life event can just throw your whole financial plan out the window. So when I'm working with advisors, it's very important. I always reiterate this is that the fact-finding process is so important when they're meeting with their clients. Because when they come to me, they've already gathered all that data. And what we do with that is we, um, um, this is not going to sound all that interesting, but we input it into our financial planning software. And that's essentially going to tell us whether or not a client can reach their goals, whether that be um, retirement or, or whatnot. Retirement is probably the biggest topic that I that I deal with when I'm um, talking to advisors about their clients. So once we have all of that base information, we've input it into our um, financial planning software. Then what I like to do is to do a sensitivity analysis. Call it all the what ifs. What if something happens that isn't necessarily in this plan? Because everything may just be going tickety-boo, but all it takes is one spouse to lose a job. Um, one person to have a heart attack or diagnosed with cancer. Um, It it just takes one thing to kind of throw the financial plan off the rails. So always having that sensitivity analysis is in there. Um, And not to mention the markets. What happens if the markets, um, if we don't achieve our forecasted X percent for the next number of years? So just throwing those different things into the mix and how strong is your financial plan? Um, well, so, and, and how will that financially um, impact you? That's something that we always, always take a look at. Uh, will your thought, your thoughts there on life events and, and the impact that these life stages can have on uh, financial plans? 
Yeah, Al, I think this is the apex of financial literacy or any literacy and really where the magic happens, uh, I think. Um, if we think about financial literacy as a pyramid itself and just the conversation we've had, you know, from the beginning to where we're at now, you can think about, you know, kind of what we built with, you know, the base being the the foundation being the money basics. And, you know, that's just thinking, period. You're Now you're thinking about something you weren't thinking about before. Awareness is the word. You know, the, the buying basics now. Now, you know, you're you're thinking knowledgeably, you've got a bunch of information, you've got a bunch of facts, um, and you at least, you know, have some sense of, of what you don't know and conversations that you can have and things you need to consider. You know, the next step towards achieving true financial literacy, then, you know, the planning basics. Now you're now you're thinking critically. You, you know enough about a couple of different options that you're actually able to compare one or two things. And now when we talk about life event basics, like I said, this is the exciting part. This is where you can start to think confidently. You can actually make some decisions uh, in a meaningful way and you start to realize that you have control. Um, and, and I think that, again, that's ultimately where most people want to get. The, the fundamental question is, am I going to be okay? Um, and then you can throw a whole bunch of ifs, you know, at that and extend that out. And that's where we can work with clients or, you know, someone who's in the know in a confident way can, can start to make decisions in a way that they have confidence, that they understand what's going on. And they recognize that although life is not linear, they are indeed going to be okay. I mean, if you think of someone that's down skiing they're not going a straight line from you know top to bottom of that pyramid or that mountain mm. you know it's it's the person that goes off track and can get back on track the quickest um you know bumps are going to happen things are going to come up um you know once you start to consider that these these life events are part of life and, and that you not only can be prepared for them but you can handle them um with confidence uh, i think that's the ultimate goal of the work that we're doing well put, well said. You know, Seema, you, you talked some of this in our last section. Is there some things that you want to add to this, Seema? Oh, absolutely. Just one more comment. I, you know, uh, Will, you're absolutely right. Life event basics, um, they, they are natural. They happen. We can't just say, um, you know, I'm not going to be prepared for it. And our, I have been very fortunate, um, Al, to work with clients that understand that life will happen no matter what. Um, but I call it goal-based planning. So as opposed to talking about life events, I say goal-based. So it, this is part of the conversation, part of the discovery process. Where do you, you see yourself financially in five years? Where do you see yourself in five years family-wise? Are you planning to get married? How much is that going to cost? Are you planning to buy a house? How, much, how big of a house are you thinking of buying, Right. Um, so, so those conversations are actually so important and so interesting. And, and uh, you know, I have clients that come back and say, Seema, thank you for having that conversation because it almost made me design what I want in the next five years. Excellent. So I continue having those conversations. You know, you, you, we talk about uh, life basics or event basics and opportunities was, was discussed earlier with Jackie uh, to share with family and things like that. And, and, and I take pause here because I really enjoy, or I I'm really taken back that um, uh, financial literacy month is November and uh, coming from a military family is a great opportunity around remembrance day uh, to spend some time reflecting on family 
and and the importance of the things that we put in place to protect our families, uh, whether it's life insurance, whether it's critical illness things, having family members or clients to reflect on that for themselves uh, is is really important. And all of you touched on that when we talked about building pyramids or the uncontrollable events that happen and the importance that you and I as advisors play in educating our clients about financial literacy. You know, Jackie, in giving some thought, as advisors, what role does financial literacy play in how you work with your clients overall? I think that uh, the role of financial literacy and how I work with clients overall is that because I'm committed to making sure that clients feel informed and engaged every step along the way. Uh, I'm really focused on the process more so than getting to the solution. And sometimes it's very different than what people have experienced before if they've ever worked, you know, uh, with other institutions or, or, you know, um, more retail financial planning, if you will. They come in and they're like, you know, they think they know what they want. And sometimes they're, they're spot on. What they want is exactly what, you know, they need. But when you stop and you, you build a little bit of process in there, um, it's a more comprehensive and thorough process. And I think, you know, people gain a lot more for it than going right to the transactional piece, which is when people think financial planning, they often think about the RSP or the insurance policy mm. or, uh, you know, the health plan. But if you're, you know, sometimes people are a little bit surprised that they can have, you know, more than one meeting and we still have it, you know, necessarily for lack of a better word, sold them anything. It's part of, you know, uh, educating, getting a baseline of where they are, setting some intentions and goals, you know, identifying, um, you know, potential solutions and how they fit into their plan, into their cash flow. And uh, so I really find that the financial literacy piece takes a little longer. Um, the process is definitely worth it, though. And I think, you know, the clients are much better served, you know, through the financial literacy process being woven into the financial planning experience overall. Excellent. Thank you, Jackie. You know, Will, I want to ask you the same question. Will, you know, what role does financial literacy play in how you work with your clients overall? Yeah, Al, you know, for me, I think that literacy in any area, be it traditional reading and writing, nutritional financial literacy we're talking about today, I mean, it is the necessary requirement for anyone to make any kind of a decision. Um, and so if my job as a planner is to help a, a client determine the best plan for themselves and make some decisions around that, I quite frankly don't see how I could possibly do that job um, mm. without doing that legwork up front that Jackie's talked about where, you know, we make sure that they have the information and the knowledge and the critical thinking skills and the confidence to, to make that plan and to move forward with it. So uh, I, my, my background is in education. I don't think it comes as a surprise that we find a lot of um, financial advisors and planners have, have similar backgrounds one way or another. Um, I decided I didn't want to teach in a classroom, but I still love to teach. And that is the bias in my practice. Um, and I think in the long run, uh, as Jackie says, it might take a bit more time up front, but, you know, clients and myself and my practice are, are far better off for it. I just don't understand how anyone can make any kind of a decision in any area of their life without having some basic understanding of what it is they're deciding. Excellent. You know, I, I, I want to turn my thoughts over to you, Jennifer, and I'm thinking about advisors and what aspect of financial literacy do you think helps 
you know, your advisor's clients the most. So what aspect of financial literacy affects them the most? My answer to that question, Al, is it depends. So when you're looking at different aspects of financial literacy, it can go a number of different ways. You can look at investment planning, cash flow management. You can look at insurance planning. There is a number of different aspects of of financial literacy. I think what's most important for the advisors that I work with and then trickling down to their clients is making sure that their clients are heard. Um, And when somebody feels heard, they feel empowered. And the details of that will come afterwards. Um, But I think it's very important for the clients to feel comfortable with the advisors that serve them um, in expressing their goals to the clients, whether that be saving um, for their 15th rental property or getting out of credit card debt, whatever end of the spectrum they're on, um, that they're expressing that to their advisor. And then they are able to talk to their clients um, in the language that they understand. And in this industry, there are so many acronyms, and sometimes we get caught up in them. Um, But just to speak in plain language to our clients and uh, make sure that, that we're hearing them correctly, and um, then showing them, you know, this is the most important aspect based on what you've told me about yourself. So, you know, Jennifer, Jackie and Will certainly had alluded to that, that taking the time, taking the time uh, for you to get to know your clients and for your clients to get to know you and be more comfortable in sharing information with you so you can do an exceptional job at the planning basics, the buying basics and the money basics. So Seema, you know, as an advisor, what aspect of financial literacy do you find helps your clients the most? Absolutely. I, uh, you know, it was music to my ears when Jennifer said people, when they're heard, they feel empowered. And, and I just want to build on that and say that um, if you have information, if you have the knowledge that you can part with at the right time, on time, delivered information is so powerful. And I want to use an example. So a client house, um, their son who's turning 18 shows up with a Starbucks coffee. And uh, he happened to ask me, um, auntie, would you like a, a coffee? I can go get it for you. And I said, sweetie, I, I love Tim Horton because I, I spend $1.25 every morning. And, uh, and, and he laughed. And, and, you know, when we were having our, our tea and snacks with the family, I just asked him, I go, um, listen, uh, Paul, do you know how much money you're going to spend if you spend $11 every day till you turn 60 from 18? And he said, I don't know. I've never thought about it. Maybe 50000 And I said, it's more like $1 million. And and it gave him a shock. And you know what? That kid has been so good with his money since. He hasn't stopped going to the Starbucks, but now he goes twice a week as opposed to seven days a week. And he actually lets his friends pay. And he (laughs) asked his parents to up his life policy because he said, listen, I'm not spending so much money uh, on Starbucks. So so maybe I should be saving a little bit more with Simanti. You know, so. I think we're going to have to keep an eye on him. He may wind up being a Starbucks franchisee down the road. <laughs> well done. 
Uh, I'm sure all of you who have participated in the podcast are walking away as I am with uh, an incredible amount of knowledge from our four exceptional speakers. I want to thank them for participating in today's conversation on Financial Literacy Month and helping us to deliver what we do best to our clients in helping to promote an understanding of financial literacy. Now, just before we go, just a reminder that you can access this podcast and more great resources on financial literacy through our website at financialadviceforall.com. I'm Al Jones, and this was the Abacus Podcast.